Today's scripture is Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 23. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as we were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to the regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings? These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Thank you, Camilla. Thank you for reading God's word. Good morning again. My name is Marcus Doe, and I'm one of the pastors here uh, at Redemption. Um, we are going to get into God's word this for the next few minutes. So if you need a Bible, you walked in without a Bible and you would like one, the ushers can bring you one. Just slip up your hand, and the ushers will get you one at this point, and that is yours to keep. Um, so you can keep track of where we are and as you're reading in your weekly devotions, that is yours. So God bless you on that. 
Before I begin, I always like to let you know that James chapter 3 verse 1 always cautions me and every preacher that stands in a pulpit anywhere in the world that we who preach will be judged more strictly, more harshly. So in the next half hour, what I'm going to do in front of you and in front of God, I will be judged someday for. That's a heavy weight. Let us pray. Thank you, Father God, for your word, the book of Colossians. Lord, we pray that in the next few minutes that we will be able to sharpen our ears so that we can hear and open our hearts so that the seed of the word is planted. It is not my voice or my ideas. Lord, is the Holy Spirit working through me, and I pray that he works. Now, in this place, we are grateful. Preaching is how people acquire faith through hearing. So may you sharpen your ears now and keep from being distracted. In Jesus' name, amen. Title this sermon this morning, Above All Else, Hold Fast to Jesus. Above All Else, Hold Fast to Jesus. About 12 years ago, <laughs> I was chasing a soccer ball, trying to make it um, in France, and I was visiting different cities around the country, around that country, going to Paris, you know, going to Lyon and all the Montpellier and Nice and all those places, and, and, and noticing the character of different cities. Most cities around the world, in fact, I've, I would argue that all cities have kind of a personality, what they are known for, a reputation, an identity. If you look at American cities, you say Boston is known for higher education with the schools and their sports fans. The city of Washington, D.C., power, politics. The city of Denver, well, tech. Oh, city of Seattle, tech, and Denver. They like to, be, they like to pretend like they're fit over there, outdoorsy, right? <laughs> Los Angeles, the glitz, the glamour, the movies, the stars, the beautiful people. Las Vegas. The gambling, debauchery, what happens in Vegas, they say, stays in Vegas. If you met a young Christian and they told you that they were moving to Las Vegas as a young Christian, what would you tell them? Nothing against Las Vegas. There are churches thriving there. Ministries are doing well. In fact, I know a few of them. But if you were a young Christian or you knew a young Christian and, the person, and someone told you, hey, I'm moving to Las Vegas, if you were to pen a letter to them, what would you say? How would you educate them in the faith? How would you instruct them about Christian living? How would you say, as a Christian living in Las Vegas, how would you live? The city of Colossae. Um, where Paul writes this letter to the Colossians. By the way, if I slip up and say Colossians, just know that that's how I grew up. In Liberia, we say Colossians. I said that in a Bible study one time, people looked at me. <laughs> so I adjusted. Like, like refugee, you always have to adjust, right? I adjusted to Colossians. I got you. Colossians was a large city on a trade route, um, the church there that Paul is writing to is a young church that he did not start, like Dave talked about last week, and they had people from different backgrounds like we do here today. 
um, Paul's writing them, coincidentally, he's writing them from prison. I'm trying to set a background so you get to be in Paul's shoes and you get to see the people that he's writing to and to understand the city. Paul, to say that Paul, the, the, the author of this letter, is incredible, I think is an understatement. The man himself is an understatement. Paul, if you read the book of Acts chapter 7, 8, and 9, you get to know Paul and what he did before he became a Christian. He was there when the first Christian kind of evangelist, Stephen, was actually stoned to death and killed. Paul was the one who ordered that. Christian preachers, Paul chased Christians from their homes. The Bible says men and women, he breathed threats against Christians. He was there when people were killed house to house, putting a lot of Christians in the early church in prison. He is the one who was writing the letter to the Colossians from prison himself. How did he get to prison? How did he go from being a one who was prosecuting or persecuting Christians to being in prison, writing to Christians an encouraging letter? If you're ever tempted to give up on somebody, if you're ever tempted to give, by the way, I appreciate that, Elliot. Um, if you're ever tempted to give up on somebody, think of Paul. Think of Paul. Think of people like him who, who have done things in their lives that you couldn't conceive of. Can I tell you a story real quick? A story time with Pastor Marcus real quick, right? I always tell you these stories because I, 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 it, helps me, it helps you get a context of, think of Paul. There was a man when I was a child, 11, 11 years old, we were going through the Civil War. He is one of the warlords. His name is Prince Johnson. Prince Johnson was a killer. He killed thousands of people. He killed people for the last name Doe. He was looking for someone like me to kill. If he would have found me, he would have killed me. He killed a lot of people in different tribes because the war quickly went from political to tribal. Prince Johnson was an evil man. Just saying his name to this day, 30 years later, I start to shake. Prince Johnson became a Christian. And he started a church. Hold on. I used to, when I heard that news, you know what I said? Mm -mm. I'm not going to be able to do it. I'm not going to be able to go there. Lord, not him. Lord, not him. He's one of those people. We all have this the list in the back of our mind of people like, man, God can't save this person. God doesn't need to save this person. I don't want God to save this person. Right? You know, you know somebody like that? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> Prince Johnson. Now, I don't know what his motivations were to proclaim Christ. I can't doubt his faith or what he's saying, but it still gives me goosebumps when I hear his name, when I read articles about him and think, this was a man when I was a kid, he was just breathing threats. This is how the disciples of Jesus look at Paul when he first becomes when he starts these churches and he's wanting to talk to disciples of Christ, well, like, yeah, I'll see him from afar. I don't know if I can go to his church. 
Because one, you're afraid of him, and two, you're thinking, God, how could you? The book of Jonah is about things like this. The song we sang this morning, Jenny, thank you. Reckless love. That is the reckless love of God. The the, the, the running after the Prince Johnsons of the world. That is the God. If you're tempted to doubt that God can still deliver someone or deliver even you, keep that in mind. This is a backdrop that leads us to Paul as he's writing. Paul's legit. He's had a conversion because he goes from, like I said, killing people to writing some of the best theologically sound letters to these churches, telling people about Jesus, how they should walk generally and more specifically in their cities. Verse 6, let's pick up. Here's what Paul is encouraging the Colossians. He says, you received it. You didn't earn it, verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. You didn't win salvation by your bravery. You didn't earn it by your hard work. You didn't figure it out by your smarts. You received salvation if you have, by God's grace and by God's grace alone. The Christians in Colossae, as we know from verse 5, you go back to verse 5, they were doing well as a church. Paul wants them to remain humble and vigilant to say, listen, God gave us this. Let us walk, he says, walk in Christ. Now, Paul's a master of metaphors, and he tends to mix his metaphors, and he mixes them here. He says, rooted and built up. It's a tree metaphor and a building metaphor. What he's trying to get to is that you, as a tree, you need to have deep roots. As a Christian, you need to have deep roots. If you are building as a Christian, you need to be just as deep as you are tall. To remain strong in the storms. Because there are storms coming in this Christian life. Some of you know that. Some of you know the storms of the Christian life. You have to have a good root system and a good foundation to withstand the storms of life. One commentator says this. He says, disciples learn. So when he said, when Paul is saying, we walk, walk with Jesus, Walk with him. He's not saying, he's saying physically walk with him, but walk in his footsteps. One commentator says, the disciples learn from their teachers as often as they walked with their teachers, right? Their teaching, when, when, when disciples were walking with Jesus, the teaching was more dialogical. Jesus was going back and forth. Any disciple back then. Paul is saying, in order to be rooted in the faith, we must walk with Jesus in his footsteps. In other words, you need to follow his teaching. You rely on anything else, ladies and gentlemen. In this life, you are relying on sinking sand. Anything else will not last. Our human nature for centuries, I think we tend to want to believe that we could rationalize our way to God. We want to law our way to God. We want to rule our way to God. I know that's not proper English, but you get what I'm trying to tell you, right? 
You can live piously by traditions and laws to get closer to God, but you cannot use the law to know God. You can get superstitious about faith, but that doesn't get you closer to God, is what Paul is trying to say. Paul mentions these three things that we, as people, are drawn towards in order to feel comfortable with our being. We like to be in control of our faith, so Paul is warning them that you cannot be intellectually in control of your faith, but you have to to walk with God and trust him, and that's the difficult part about faith. Our society now, with human nature, we're drawn to, I am especially intellectual philosophy. I am especially drawn to that, and some of you are drawn to human traditions, superstitions. In their context, these are three ways, in, in the city of Colossians, these are three ways that these things were so preeminent in their, in their culture that Paul is warning them about. They lived in a pluralistic society where everything was, everything was acceptable. Every view of eternity or salvation was, was competing for your attention. We have that now, but we have it digitally, right? We no longer have somebody in the town square. I don't know in Tucson what would be kind of the city center, like the town square where people would argue philosophies, right? We have that on, on digitally, right? People argue digitally now. Everybody has a platform. You know this. Everybody has a stage. Everybody can speak up. And everybody's looking for, it seems everyone's looking for someone to follow, a guru, maybe an activist, an actor, a false preacher. All these people are vying for our attention. To assert, to assert themselves in the place that only Christ can occupy in our lives. Intellectual philosophy is good up to a point. Laws and traditions are, are beneficial, but these things fall woefully short of God. The only way we can know God is that he reveals himself in his word. Apart from, apart from the word of God, we cannot get to experience the Lord experience God and see the newness of what he does. How else will we know God's character, his will for us, his love for us? How else will we know? We can't philosophize our way there. We can't rationalize our way there. We couldn't know him unless he shows himself to us, and he did in Jesus Christ. It's the one reason, one of the few reasons why we should always, when I say always, I mean always, read the word of God. God's word, God word also shows up not only who God is, but it shows us our spiritual condition. It shows, up, it shows us what we are without him. It showed me that. In verse 11 to 13, Paul says, you were dead and uncircumcised. The only two places I know when we talk about circumcision is that when you have a baby boy, or in church, right? But we're preaching through the Bible verse by verse up in here, so we can't skip that part. Let's keep going. The uncomfortable stuff will come up. We can't ignore those kind of topics here. So in Jewish tradition, let me read verse 11 and 12 so we get a context here. 11, in him, you were all, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. 
who raised him from the dead. So there's two metaphors. There's a circumcision metaphor and there's a baptism metaphor. In Jewish Old Testament tradition, circumcision was done to boys when they were infants. And it indicated that they shared in the covenant that God had made with Abraham, that you were accepted into the Jewish community. You became a part of your tribe as a male when you were circumcised. Now, like I said, Paul makes up his metaphors here, right? Circumcision and baptism. I need you to stay with me. Paul is saying that you were dead both ways. The church in Colossae, those people were not circumcised and they were not also baptized. So either way, from tradition to spiritually, they were dead. But in Jesus, your spiritual circumcision has been made and you have become children of God. For your baptism has made you a public part of God's family. So if, if, even if you are not Jewish and you are not circumcised, you're still welcome, right? And when you get baptized, you are, in, you, are, you are grafted into the family. I don't want you to miss this real quick in verses 13 and 14. He says this. This is a beauty. Stay with me. And you... We're dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Let me say this. Maybe you missed it. Paul is saying, I am a Jew. You were people over there. You were uncircumcised. But now, when you are forgiven, notice he changes from you to us. Read it again. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the debt and record that stood against us with its legal documents. So he's saying that you go from being you people, y'all, to being part of us. So he's saying the people of Colossae in Christ have skipped kind of the laws and the traditions and have become part of Christ's family through him. Christ has performed spiritual surgery by stripping off the flesh and creating a new heart that will encourage them now to die to self and selfish thoughts in order to live for Christ and Christ alone. The Christian life, folks, is a transformation is a transformation. No part of us is left untouched by Jesus Christ. There is, and then there's always room for transformation. Take a little time out and tell another story real quick. Last Saturday, we did a naming ceremony for, for our, third, our third child, our first boy, um, Baxley. And Obviously, it was, I know for a lot of you, when Dave announced that we had a son and we didn't announce his name, it's like, what? 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 It's a tradition that we have in West Africa, um, in, in some places, some tribes in West Africa, that when you, when, you, when you welcome a child, you keep them so that they survive. Uh, if they make it health-wise, then you announce their name because our names are normally announced or, or we share a name with an ancestor, if that makes sense. People are named after each other. Very rarely that you have someone have a stream of name, a name that is completely separate from anything. Either you're, named, you're, either you're named for an ancestor or a day of the week, like Kwame or Kwesi or Kofi, and those names are days of the week. 
That's African history. We're not going to go there today. What I'm trying to tell you is my friend Francis is, is from Ghana, and he's playing the djembe, and he's explaining the tradition, right? People are in my house, and he starts talking about ancestry, and it seems like he's talking about, basically he's sharing that we West Africans sometimes are ancestor worshipers. Christ offends that, right? That, that's why, uh, hobby horse, that's why it bugs me when people go to different parts of the world and they come back with like, I got a new spirituality, and it seems like it's better because it comes from a non-Western source. You're with me? I'm not denying my culture here. My culture, Christ offends as well, right? You hear me? My, my tribal people back in, back in the days would sacrifice children hundreds of years ago. It's in our history. That offends Christian culture. That offends Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came so that we didn't have to do that. If you look at my arms, I have marks on my arms that I was tagged so that I belonged to a certain tribe of people. It's a blood sacrifice. You didn't expect that this Sunday morning, did you? Christ offends all our culture. So we have to talk about it, even though we honor the tradition, but we redeem it in Christ. He puts the shame, the Bible says, all authority. He triumphs over everything. Everything that we think is high and mighty, Christ will bring to light and bring to shame. Everything needs to bow to him. In verses 16 and 17, Paul reasserts what he wrote in verse 8 by saying, let no one, let no one, take anything away from you by trying to distract you with intellectualism, their personal activism, their beef with the church, etc. Follow Christ. The pressures of this world, folks, are no match for Jesus Christ. No match. Verse 19 and 20 says, hold fast. I'll speak on this and then we'll close. Hold on to Jesus. And never let go. Hold on to Jesus and never let go. He is the head, verse 19 says. He is the one and the only one who saves. Spurgeon, great preacher of the past, said this. While we are without faith, Christ is a name to us. He's just a name. A person that may have lived a long time ago, so long ago in history, but he doesn't matter to us now. By an act of faith, Christ becomes a real person in the consciousness of our heart as real to us as our own flesh and blood and bones. And we speak to him and of him and think of him as we would our brother, our father, our son. Is that Christ to you? Does that sound familiar to you? Do you talk to Christ like he's staying right there, like he's a brother, father, or or or? Or, or, or a, like a son. Do you hear, can you talk to him that way? Is he that real to you? Or is there something more real to you? Is there another philosophy that you kind of say, ah, the Bible says this, but I'm going to go with this. We hold fast by reading God's word, by pursuit of holiness, dying to our sinful habits, Repenting when we do sin. 
Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Where are you today? Are you still holding on to some philosophy, to some tradition, something else, some backup plan? When my mother got sick as a kid, my mother was poisoned when I was nine years old, and she was dying. And my father and my family members, who we were quote-unquote Christians, we went, to a, we went to a church. I won't mention a denomination. Well, it was a Methodist church. It's not a big deal. Um, we went, I went to the church. Um, I'll tell you this uh, straight up. I, I went to church because they gave out toffees for the kids. That's why I went. Um, and my parents went. My dad, I know, went because it was for high government officials. Um, when my mother got sick, we didn't go to the church for people to pray for her healing. We went to a witch doctor. We had a backup plan. What's your backup plan? Jesus has to be plan A, B, C, D, E, F. Blink your eyes if you understand what I'm saying. Hold fast to Jesus Christ. Hold fast to Jesus Christ in your mind, in your heart, in your soul. Here's the, here, here's, the, here's the closing point here. If Jesus Christ rose from the dead, as you have read and you have been told, and you believe and trust that that happened, you've allowed that to restructure your life, whatever you're going through right now, whatever it is you're going through right now will be resolved will be redeemed, will be reconciled. So, Marcus, well, you can't say that. You don't know what I'm going through. I hear you. I see you. Doesn't mean you can't mourn or cry now. In the end, Christ will reign. The anxiety, the depression, the struggles in relationship, know that you can cry and mourn about those things now. For Christ redeems. People used to say that to me, and I used to think they didn't give me any kind of context, right? Romans 8.28, people would always repeat Romans 8.28. I was in a refugee camp with malaria looking for with more. I can't, couldn't, have, couldn't get a hot meal anywhere. I'm waiting. This is, this is terrible. I'm, I'm waiting all day to go to the bathroom because there's no bathrooms. It's just out in the fields. And people would tell me, Romans 8.28, God works all things out for good. Here I am, an orphan from war. He didn't give me a context. You understand what I'm saying? What I'm trying to tell you is that we need to be with people when they mourn, but to assure them that they will be redeemed. Those things that they're going through will be reconciled, right? They, they, they will be brought to bear. And when we breathe our last breath, if you're in Christ, you will forget all the things that ever happened because up there is so sweet. With Christ is so beautiful, we cannot even imagine it. I appreciate those hand claps. I know there is anguish, there are tears, but one day we will cry no more. We know how the story ends. Read the book of Revelation. They're going through something right now. I want to I want to speak directly to you this morning. You cannot you cannot hide it if you're in community. You can't handle it by yourself. And you can't heal without help. Hold fast to Christ.
this Christian life requires a connection to Jesus Christ. It requires humility in our journey, patience with other brothers and sisters in Christ, and a daily devotion to following Jesus Christ because he is the only hope, the only way. We are all sinners saved by grace, and we're holding on to Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you, gracious Heavenly Father. Thank you for the word. Lord, you are our only hope in this world. The only thing that we can hold on to with mind, spirit, and soul. You go to places and pull people from places that we wouldn't go to. We can't quite understand. God, you pulled some of us from places like that. Thank you, Lord, for your grace that that just surpasses all understanding. Your resurrection and life defeats everything. May we walk out of here with that assurance that you care, you love, and you are with us. In Jesus' name, amen.